Hello and happy Wednesday. We have a new segment at the front end of our show where we highlight a few reading events throughout the world. San Francisco City Lights Bookstore. Uh, Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who started it, is turning 100 years old. Celebrate that amazing event on Sunday, March 24th at 1 p.m. at City Lights Booksellers. Also uh, involved are Cafe Zoetrope, Vesuvio Cafe. Essentially, all of North Beach area is celebrating Lawrence Ferlinghetti's 100th birthday. Thank you, Lawrence Ferlinghetti, for being an amazing force in literary history. What? There's another reading series, and that's in Chinatown. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce this. Uh, It's a a gallery, though, in uh, Chinatown. Uh, Kogula Coratorial. The reading event is called Put Your Suicide on Hold. So there should be no suicides in the news until after March 17th. And the date of this reading is March 17th. Readers feature Jack Grisham, Dennis Cruz, Alan McDonald, who was our guest last week, Iris Berry, Michael Marcus, who's going to be our guest in a couple of weeks, and Daniel Leibowitz. Uh, so definitely check that out. That is in Chinatown on March 17th. The, sh- the event is called Put Your Suicide on Hold. And the biggie, Los Angeles Times Festival of Books, happens April 13th and 14th on the USC campus in Los Angeles. Hundreds of amazing authors and events packed into one weekend. You know, if you plan a trip to Los Angeles anytime and you want to be in the literary mecca, be there that weekend. It's rad. And tonight, Wednesday, March 6th, I teach a free online, uh, free, I teach a free in-person IRL. Who does that? Uh, At the Los Feliz Library Branch in Los Angeles, California. For more information, go to LAPL.org. I hope you're writing all this down, especially if you're listening as you're driving. My novel workshop starts Monday online. Go to TonyDuchesne.com for more information. That's TonyDuchesne.com. We start on Monday, March 11th and go for six weeks. And now on with the show. This is Porangi and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Parangi, sound healer, musician, and I got to tell you, one of the best looking dudes in a fedora I've seen in a long time. How are you, Parangi? I'm doing great, Tony. Good to be here with you, man. Yeah, I appreciate you coming out. So you're doing a show tomorrow in downtown Los Angeles. Um, to those who aren't familiar with your work, what does a show, like, what, what, what's the Parangi experience when they come to a show? Yeah, good question. Um, it I pretty much shapeshift given the different kind of shows that I do, so it can really transform. But in general, um, working with, you know, I'll be bringing either a format anywhere from a very kind of more meditative sound healing vibe, if you will, for people who are kind of familiar with that that kind of thing, all the way up to full on dance party. I play shows right up next to DJs. The difference being DJs are playing obviously pre produced, mastered tracks, and I'm doing it all live on the fly. So everything I do is a live, um, I, I'm a live looping artist. Um, but my thing is I, I bring a lot of indigenous instruments from around the world and I weave them all live and produce basically the sound right there in the moment, given the context of the room, largely improvisational um, and just really tuning into the energy of the space and then you know, creating something with the audience in mind 
and it allows me to really even be even I would say argue more flexible than a DJ because I can go really in any direction and meet the people and really their sound is actually in the loops it's like the sound like here where we are it's like having those sounds in the recording creates a certain energy and a life to it that we lose a lot in recorded pre-recorded music that's kind of dead if you think about it you know so it's kind of part of the aesthetic of the art that I'm doing is how to capture taking instruments from the past from our ancestors and how to weave it into the present moment with technology with this advent of looping and which I would argue is kind of like the the ancestor the evolution of fire you could think of it you know fire is evolved because you feel our computers they put off heat just like a fire you know so getting in tune with the energy of a room I really like that because um, I feel like, like even you know, like stand-up comics have to do that. There's, there's a lot of you know, I, even I, I, I teach, I, I teach classes. I gotta work. I gotta work the room. I need to know what's happening. So, so I have to get in tune with energy. Probably not as much as you do because you're getting in tune with, essentially, what's like inside the energy. Or, or my, or my, or tell me if I'm, tell me if I'm <laughs> asking the worst question in the world. That's okay. But um, great question. <laughs> great. Well, can you say that again, really, into the microphone? Yeah, it's a great question. Oh, thank you so much. All right, <laughs> and we're here for my ego. <laughs> but um, so, so what is it like? So, if you walk into a room, what is there? Sometimes where you feel like the energy is just you're like, oh man, I'm gonna have to work hard on this crowd. Is is there anything like that? Does that come up? Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, there's definitely crowds where you're like, wow, this is um, like, for instance, I mean, everyone's probably done it. Any professional musician, I'm sure, has had their their corporate gigs or gigs where you're like, you're kind of meant to be background music. Um, for the work that I do and the music that I do, it's really, it's really, that's probably the least best fit, so to speak. Um, and so those gigs are actually great because they're a real challenge for me. So I, I get to like really shapeshift into those spaces where people are kind of there in that real superficial energy. Like, hey, how are you? How are you? It's like that really, you know, hobnob thing. And, and so for me, it's like, what can I bring to this moment and really listen and tune in and be like, what they can enhance this, they can lift the energy up in this space. And so like, for instance, I mean, one example, I was doing one maybe a few years ago at the Desert Botanical Gardens in Phoenix, Arizona. And, um, you know, and, and, I, and I pulled out my didgeridoo. And, and I, I literally said, one of the things I like to do is, is break the barrier of audience, um, spectator kind of, and stage artist separation. So I like to actually get off the stage, like go into the audience and break that and kind of really throw people for a loop because a lot of people are almost freaked out. They're like, wait a minute, he's not staying in his cage, you know, up there, like, right? And so that's my favorite thing is to kind of break that expectation. And so... Go- because that's almost an energy barrier. I would like. It's almost like if someone walks too close to you or something, and you like if you're at an ATM machine and you feel someone too close to you. But when you're in an experience where you're the performer and you have an audience, when, it, when the audience feels the performer too close to them, I could see them getting that their energy is going to shift because they're like, wait a second, this yeah. Yeah. this isn't what I expected, which is great. I let you the and it's you know and it's not like you're holding a gun to them and mugging them. You're you're giving them help. Well, well, that's just the thing, right? It's like uh, approaching them in a way that, that doesn't freak them out. Although some people, you know, sometimes they freak out. But, it, but it's like the thing is, though, coming with such a presence that they're able to actually like actually be kind of stunned for a moment. And then suddenly they realize what's happening. And they, they feel a shift, like you said, energetically. And so the didge is a great instrument for that because it moves. It's one of the oldest instruments that known to human beings, probably after the human voice. It's a primordial instrument, right? Played by the aboriginal people of Australia. Yeah ancient right and it's just a tube but it enables the person playing it to do something known as circular breathing or spiral breathing i like to call it where it's like an infinite note so it's like the original looper when you really think about it 
because there's never a break in that sound, right? And so going out and playing that to people, especially like at this event I was talking about, immediately it was like their drinks kind of went down and they just like stopped in their tracks and were just really taken. And like for a moment, I could see like whatever that, like, you know, the ego trip, whatever they were in, their, their illusion was just like the veil kind of parted for a split second. And it was amazing because like watch them just stop there and like you see their heart, like everything over their energetic body opening up. And then like the moment they kind of noticed other people were around them and they're just, th and then you see them like get self-conscious and go right back into their thing like, oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. And, like, go back to, you know, the thing. But it was like, and then all of a sudden their awareness was totally shifted and suddenly really paying attention to what musically was happening and how the music was influencing the whole space. And I think that's something we forget, you know, is, is how much music, just like a film, think about film work, you've done film, you know, you could have a shitty picture, but if your sound isn't good, no one's going to forgive you, right? It's like you could have super shaky, terrible footage, but man, the sound is good, it's still a great hit. It, you can make an amazing, compelling piece of art. But on the contrary, you know, if the picture is amazing, but your sound sucks, Forget it. People will, will turn it off quickly. And it's, it's really how, how powerful sound is because it permeates us in a deeper way than, than light. Yeah, yeah and that's, that's really intriguing because just, just as like, a, like humans communicating with each other, we can, I mean, I, I, I never don't interview in person. Oh, here comes your chai. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> she was nice. Oh, yeah, real nice. Yeah, I think she made eyes at you. <laughs> I think so. You might have to ask her out. <laughs> oh, she's, she's, we, so we just recently celebrated our eight years together. Yeah, thank you, man. That's a big deal. And on the road together for eight years. So that's like, that's like double, that's like 16, 20 years, I think, of a normal marriage. Because you literally like, you spend it 24-7 on the road in the most stressful situations, like LA traffic. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you have a sip of your tea, and then I'm going to ask you, how do you keep a relationship together in general? Because I'm a divorced dude, and you know, I'd, love to, I'd love to crack at another one, you know what I'm saying? So, so what, what are some things that you do to keep your relationship um, to eight years, but on the road? That's, that's intense. I mean... I know band members who want to kill each other and don't want don't want to see each other, and then say, "But you have to go home to each other." So now, now she's intrigued. Now she's over there listening. Now she wants to get in on. Yeah, yeah. Don't listen to this part. This part's this part's between the dudes. All right. Yeah. Um, you know what can I say? Um, well, first of all, it takes it takes both parties being really willing to stay committed to the greater mission. Because at the end of the day, it's like, you know, she also, we co-create this. You know, I, I, I might be there as the main artist, if you will, but she's very much, and more recently, she's been stepping in a bigger role, not just as like tour manager and kind of those roles, but also performing as well. I mean, she's, she's a dancer by training. Um, so we'll do performances where she also dances. But then more recently, she's, she's also a facilitator of a, of a form known as Dancing Freedom by a woman by the name Samantha Sweetwater. It's similar to like Five Rhythms, Gabriel Roth, or um, Ecstatic Dance. I don't know if you've, you've heard Ecstatic Dance. It's a, whole, it's a whole kind of movement around intentional dancing, creating kind of a container of dancing where instead of going to a bar, say, or a club, or these kind of things, where it's more about a social scene, everyone's there to really like just have their own experience going deep into the dance and the music is medicine. It's a really powerful container and there's a big one. Actually, the show, tomorrow at the Wisdom is going to be presented. It's presented by Ecstatic Dance LA. 
And so they're actually putting on this show. They're organizing it. And so they have a regular, like, weekly that people can go to. And it's basically like a two, three-hour experience where it's not, like, they ask people not to have conversations, to actually stay. If you're going to talk, like, to go outside kind of thing. And so everyone's just in it, like, deep. And it's really powerful because it gets, and there's not alcohol. So it's, it's, they really, you know, it's, it's, it's really um, honoring sobriety and bringing that, like, sobriety, like, getting high through your dance which is amazing actually when you really like give it your all and people like let go of the judgment and the fears around that. So just that's a really powerful piece. So Ashley's been a facilitator of that and kind of doing guided pieces to that. So the new album we just dropped, you know, there's a music version of it. I think that maybe you heard, but I don't know if you got a chance to hear. There's a guided version because she actually, five of those seven songs on the, on the album um, were actually recorded live with her guidance. And then what we did was we muted her for the music-only version, and then we released a, a, an actual guided version where she's on the tracks and like mixed just right. But it's, it's, it really um, just shows... Not the Ayahuasca, it's the new Porangi Live. It's the self-titled... Yeah, it's, it's actually officially drops March 1st. Like, so we're doing the official launch there in Oakland at Suites Ballroom. Yeah. Yeah, Ecstatic Dance San Francisco, Oakland is going to be presenting that one. So, yeah, so that's been a big part of our work together is that piece. So, back to your original question. <laughs> Sorry, tangent. Avoider. No. <laughs> it's a hard question. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just reaching for anything in my own life. So, you know, however you want to answer it. That's so good. No, so, so, you know, so really it's, it's about both parties being really committed to a greater mission. So for us, I guess what I was trying to say is, you know, if we are like in a stressful situation, like pre-show, which, you know, they say it all comes up on the way to ceremony um, is kind of a, a famous line. And, and yeah, you know, in any kind of ceremony on the way to the wedding, on the way to the, you know, ayahuasca ceremony, you name it, whatever your ceremony is. And for us, music is ceremony. You know, we're, we're creating a, a sacred container and really bringing through music that, I would say, I like to say is beyond entertainment, it's really about transformation and really bringing an energy of transformational energy. That's, I mean, that's, for me, that, nothing makes me more activated when I, when I see people, when I see people really, um, really turned on by the music and really like activated by it, if that makes sense, where they're like, like lights are going on, like their body is vibrating from something that they've never experienced before. And they're like, what is this? That's like, so like I was saying, like the didgeridoo, you know, and these corporate execs, suddenly just watching them, literally their energetic bodies just get blasted open. They're like, what the hell just hit me? They don't know what hit them, you know? And until later, and then they might integrate it. And then suddenly I get a call and they're like, hey, will you come play at our CEO corporate thing, blah, 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 again? And so things like that, you know? And so Ashley and I, when we get to a show and we're stressed out, it's like we both will, we have a, a kind of a rule, if you will, where we'll both just drop it, leave it at the door, like kind of cleanse ourselves of that so that we can show up 110% for what needs to happen for the greater good, you know? And I think both of us getting committed to that has been a big piece in helping us to like always be able to kind of get out of our minutia and, you know, the little stuff or whatever, like is the beef that's on our head or, you know, our righteousness or, you know, that's a huge one, right? Always having to be right, our egos getting involved with that and choosing love. Because ultimately, I mean, you gotta be—you gotta keep choosing love, and and the the sooner you kind of get that, and you let go of the righteousness, and you and you really decide to come back to the heart, the sooner you can move on. And and I guess she's the first partner I've ever had where we've been able to consistently always come back, even if we get way off track. It's like we're able to say, hey, time out. What's really important here? What? And and for me, it's been just a humbling experience to kind of as a man to always come back to okay. 
you know, where is my wounded masculine? Where is that piece of my dad, the anger, the rage, my grandfather? Where's that bubbling up in me? And how can I track that and own it and then release it? And she's been the first partner I've ever had who's like had the patience to basically hold space for me to go through that healing. And, you know, and, and, and brings up all her core wounds with her dad and her mom. So, you know, classic, you know, and, and honestly, it's been beautiful because as we've been through these eight years, it's not that it's like all roses. It's like, it's, you know. Well, and if, if it is, then it's weird and it's a lie. It, it's, it's too much. Totally. So we, we actually just recently had our first counseling session, which was amazing. Um, we worked with this therapist in Sedona, um, who's a holistic therapist. And, yeah, she does a lot with nonviolent communication. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Um, uh, really, that so with less punching? Less punching, except <laughs> preferably. <laughs> or sumo suits, no. <laughs> no, but they, it's, um, it's actually a really powerful, um, a really incredible uh, Marshall Goldenstein, I believe, or Goldenberg. I'm, I'm messing up his last name. But so it, it, it's not, when you say nonviolent, it's, it's how you're expressing yourself through words you tr- uh, to each other? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so it's it's. I recommend people, listeners, check it out. Like, look it up. Nonviolent communication. And I'm sorry, I'm killing the author's name right now. My brain is spacing, but I think it's Marshall uh, Rosenberg. But if you look it up, like on Audible, there's an audiobook with his voice. He's passed on, but there's a whole like slew of therapists and people have come out of his work. His work, man, he's like he's helped like negotiate treaties be- between countries, like on that level, because of his ability to help people get to the core of what is instead of going to because our default is to go to violence and anger to kind of bubble up. But the deal is this whole form; it's a whole system of of languaging to really get underneath what our needs are. So once you understand what your needs are, and you can actually and first you identify the feeling. So the feeling is kind of like the first piece. I'm feeling this, but often we'll say I think this, or like it's a judgment. Like it's not really a feeling that we're talking about it's actually a judgment of something or an evaluation of something so what he's kind of teaching in that whole system is you want to get present to what the real feeling is identify it so like I feel sad I feel angry I feel you know whatever I feel hurt like name that then then get present with what is what is the need underneath that that's not being met that the feeling is arising so once you get to the need then you can actually by through observation then you can speak to this is my request like I'm asking for this, like I would like to ask, so like I have a need for safety, for instance, let's just say, right? And if I have a need for safety, like I'm feeling really scared right now because my need for safety isn't being met because the way you're, like Ashley would say this to me, because the way you're driving, you know, my, now she used to say like, you're driving like a Brazilian, can you like knock it out, you know what I mean? And so there's a judgment, there's that evaluation, right? You're driving like this as opposed to like, I have a need for safety, can you honor that need? You know, and her request would be, could you drive a little bit more slowly trying to get to this appointment, you know, right now, for instance. So, so it's really powerful because what happens is when you identify and go through that languaging, all of a sudden the charge of just the emotion, the raw like anger or frustration or whatever, it suddenly subsides because suddenly you're able to like actually observe it as opposed to just take over and just be a knee-jerk reaction. So that's really the power, and I, I'd say that's been an amazing tool for me. And also with self-talk, like the, our own like inner dialogue, right? Like, oh, I'm such an idiot, why did I do that? Like, you know, that whole thing, right? It's like, actually, this is what's going on. And when I'm able to use that now, it, man, it's, it's changed my life in so many ways. So I like, just recommend that to people out there, check that out, There's a, yeah, it's, a, it's such a powerful tool. I'm definitely going to check it out. See, I, I've had panic attacks for about two decades. And I used to be severely agoraphobic where I couldn't leave the house like 10 years ago. So a lot of, a lot of what I go through generally is a lot of self-talk. So when the panic attack is coming, I say, wait a second, what am I, what's going on in my life that I'm feeling right now? And then it's just like, boom, oh, wait, I'm feeling 
I'm feeling lonely. And then all of a sudden I get really sad. But really sad is so much more awesome than a panic attack, you know? So I, that, I love that, that you kind of just get to the core of the feeling. It's the core of the feeling, exactly, exactly. And with anger, it's a huge one, hence the nonviolent piece. Because the default oftentimes is that there'll be then that frustration, that anger, because the communication isn't happening. And then all we can see is red. And so there's no path to resolution. There's no path to finding like common ground. When we can actually get to what each person's need is, then we can actually get to like, then this is how we can actually meet both of our needs. And you can create those, those win-win situations where everyone can walk away feeling better about, about the exchange. And honestly, I, I really feel like, I mean, that, if humanity could actually live by this, man, I mean, talk about how many conflicts in our world right now would be like resolved. If, if we could actually hear and, and have, oh, the other big piece I left out is empathy. So he's a huge, huge uh, spokesperson for empathy and the whole concept of being able to really empathize with another, like be generous with empathy, like really listening. When that person is sharing their needs and going through their feeling and kind of their observation, their needs and their request, those are like the four steps. Then the idea is that you really give space to listen to that as the other person speaking that. And then you have your turn to, to speak what it is for you. And, and just that, that authentic listening, like not just tuning out, not being like whatever, like rolling their eyes, but really being present. And as they're speaking it, having empathy for them. Like really like, you know what? I really feel what you're saying. Like I, I, I put myself in your shoes and I can really empathize. And that's something I feel like we lose, especially with technology, especially with what's happening right now in the world with all our phones and all of these light boxes, man. There's empathy is almost like being usurped from humanity with our technology, right? This is like because we have no accountability. We're just like we're mediated by this, these screens. And it's in and it just it's crazy because then all of a sudden our egos totally brought in. So when people are re reply to tweets or whatever, everyone has to be right. Nobody, nobody, and they're not in the same room with each other. I think if these people were face to face, there would be a completely different dialogue. But since they're just plugging it in. And they're talking with their friends without looking each other in the face. And they're like, you're right. And you're like, I know I'm right. And it just it accomplishes nothing. It's yeah, it, it, totally. And, yeah. and, you know, it's, it's very much, it's very robotic. Um, Ashley and I both laugh, you know, because it's like we, we listen, you know, when you're do, trying to dictate like text, right? You have to speak to the thing, like Siri or whatever, like it, it, like a robot. It's like it's, the robots are teaching us how to speak like robots in these monotone. You ever think about that? It's like we're being trained how to speak like robots, and the and the, the have less emotion. This whole this whole thing is a trip. What's happening? I feel um, more than ever, kind of tying it back to music. It's like music and live music specifically is really I feel so essential right now for us as human beings because it's it's really creating it's one of the last places where people are able to feel and connect to a community in a space right and connect to this sound this vibration and a collective vibration that is created the entrainment that happens between all the people in the room and this artist who's creating this this energy right with everyone and actually feel connected and not as opposed to alienated, as opposed to disconnected, you know? I feel like it's, it's one of the things that more, is more important than ever right now. And it's one of the big reasons why we're pushing so hard with bringing this live experience to people, I think, with the music, you know? Yeah, I think it's really important. I mean, I grew up on like punk rock and going to punk shows and being drunk off my ass and getting, coming back with bruises from being in the pit. And it, but it was, I look back on that, yeah, it was spiritual. I didn't realize that I needed that so bad. I needed to just kind of get pummeled and have that rage. And then I felt calm after. Now as I get older, I'll just break a hip, you know. <laughs> but, but, um, but, but now there's these options of 
going to you can go dance without having alcohol because I it cracks me up that people need alcohol to dance. I think that's one of the most it's it's sad. It's I find it absurd absurd. At the same time, people need it to break out of that zone. But I feel like I can just get up and dance with you right now without having a problem, and we yeah. would create an energy. And I would rather dance sober and talk sober, even though the goddamn show is called Drinks with Tony. I made the name up in 2002. Now it's it's non-alcoholic drinks usually. I still drink sometimes, but you know I'd rather have the uh, I'd rather have the sobriety. I have the rather have all the you know usually in a right. If we do drink, we get half a beer usually. Anyway, but this is my problems. This is not yours. Let's get back to you. So. It's all good. No, I I think it's a really good point you bring up. You know. Um, yeah, because, you know, alcohol has really become the accepted norm in, in our society in, in, here, and I say, you know, mainstream America, if you will, and a lot of the world, you know, alcohol has kind of become, yeah, it's just, you know, and now obviously ganja is on the rise, right, is, is entering that category, but any of these are, they're medicines, right? Uh, you know, a, a great teacher of mine once said, you know, the only difference between poison and medicine is, is dosage, right? And so... Even coffee, even coffee. You know, at one point you can take it and it, it actually it helps stimulate the body, helps to various actions in the body that it can help. And another level, yeah, it's acidity and it's just, it can really be destructive to the body, right? Depleting to the adrenals, so on and so forth. So I feel like, you know, the, the fact that, and one of the things that I'm like, is the core of our mission and the work that we do with music and also the healing work that I do as a healer um, is really helping people to reconnect to the medicine that they themselves are. You know, because one of the powerful things about creative expression, art, you know, and, and music and dance are two art forms I feel that are super powerful and two sides of the same coin because they're both temporal art forms. And what I mean by that is that when you get down to it, now the advent of recording kind of clouds this, right? And recording and, and what we're doing right now, right? Because people will experience this at a later time. And it's like this, it's, it's an echo, it's a, it's a hologram, it's a ghost of something, this moment right now, this magic we're feeling right in this moment. And what happens is that when you forget that, and we just rewind, just not even a hundred years, now go back to the beginning of civilization, before recorded history, right, to our ancestors, how were they, when they were dancing and making music, those were the most powerful, sacred, and magical forms of sorcery in existence because when that music happened it just happened in that moment and when it was done it was gone and you can't get you can't go back you can't try to recapture that you never it was gone forever and there's something really powerful about we, we I feel we've lost the appreciation for the wonder of these art forms that bring us into our present moment into our body like nothing else they get us into the flow state you could call it some people there's a lot of literature on flow state right or that states of consciousness that are altered states of consciousness that are like I was going back to ceremony where a lot of indigenous cultures our ancestors from whatever lineage we come from whether it be druid African Asian South American indigenous ancestors all had their form of ways of working with plant and non-plant medicines, working with um, ceremonies that just use the elements like fire, air, water, earth, you know, like a sweat lodge, Temascal, for instance, like the Lakota people use, Temascal is the Mayan, the Aztecas use, and all of these forms were ways of using the elements of the earth to take us into other states of awareness and consciousness so that we could actually connect more deeply with self and spirit. Right. And so in our modern society, right, in, in America, just for lack of any other model right now, I mean, and, and this is, of course, in our cor corporate culture, you layer this also with corporate culture, it all gets confused. What is that? It's become alcohol, right? What you get, you turn age of age, right? What, what is our rites of passage? Think of that, right? We get a driver's license. 
right? You get maybe a high school diploma you could call rights patch, but not really. It's really the driver's license and it's the ability to then drink alcohol at 21 or earlier, right? Illegally. But it's like that moment where we step into that, that place where now all of a sudden it's okay for us to go into these altered states. But how that's being guided, the road man or road woman, if you will, the medicine man or woman is what? Is a bartender. Or, or not. Maybe it's just, you know, an, a, a senior in high school just giving, trying to get you wasted because they want to get you laid or lay you or whatever, right? And so it's really deep wounding and trauma happens there that we see. I see clients all the time and, and, and obviously fans and, and people in our communities or come to our retreats who are deeply wounded and scarred. I mean, even Ashley, you know, she was in a sorority and she has a lot of trauma around that, you know. Um, and I, unfortunately, I didn't get into the whole Greek system when I went to college. I was creating an alternative to actually non-alcoholic events already at that age. Yeah, yeah, Duke University of all places, which has a huge Greek scene. And there I was actually doing non-alcoholic underground dance parties all back then. Back when it was still like rave culture, electronic music wasn't like EDM, didn't exist yet. But at that time, it was the only scene that I had found where people weren't about alcohol. And it was about really dance and, mu and music as like the main scene you still had on the fringes obviously you know ecstasy or maybe you know other psychedelics but the vibe wasn't heavy with that alcohol vibe where it's like numbing you out yeah. and so that's really been a big drive for me ever since i was very young is like how to help people connect to themselves you know and awaken through expression and so my favorite thing man is is helping an audience like actually getting an audience to sing getting an audience to actually co-create with me on the fly because when we do that and I see people actually feel that creative energy, that spark come out of them as opposed to being passive consumers of music, passive consumers of like watching, you know, dance or whatever. It's like when we suddenly remember that we are breathing, living musicians and dancers, all of us, no matter our skill level or our background, you know, our walk, then it suddenly it's like we, we become creators, we become authors. And from an author, you, you have an authority. And from that authority, you can impact and create change. And suddenly you're empowered as opposed to being passive consumers fed by the corporate machine and kind of just docile. You know, as Pink Floyd called it, comfortably numb, right? He's hit it on the head, man, right? And so this is really a big part of our medicine and our work is like, how do we get people to feel activated? And in that way, I would call what we do is act a form of activism. Um, it's just a real grassroots way of like through the most basic way of how do I open up your voice? How do I help you to express yourself in a more authentic way? And in doing so, you can then better heal your community, yourself, your community, your family, and the earth in return. And so that's, that's, that's ultimately our goal. It's interesting because I, I feel like when, like when we're children or when we're, we're you know, as people, people and toddlers, where if somebody like does something, they're going to react without any, without any boundaries. Like they'll just they'll laugh, they'll giggle, they'll try to communicate. Yes. And then as we get older that kind of shuts down and to, to go back and open that up and like if we, if we can just get this whole cafe to just start singing together it, w it would be the whole field the whole energetic field here would be like yeah we would be best friends with all these people for about for about two years and then they would they would all go back to their holes because they just can't deal with how woke we are <laughs> you know I mean it's, it's something I'm kidding I'm not woke <laughs> I mean, what is what is woke? You know, I, I, I honestly, I feel I feel woke is a, it's kind of become a, a almost a trendy thing, and and I and I hate that because it's it's so insidious. The the way and when I say the corporate, I keep kind of dropping the corporate piece. You know, what? Let me like kind of clarify what that means because I don't want I don't want to offend anyone. There's a lot. Oh no, please offend. There are no corporate sponsors, so go ahead. <laughs> Great, Coca-Cola, <laughs> eat it. Uh, I'm, I'm a Coke scholar, actually, so I can't talk too much trash about them. They helped pay for my way through Duke. Uh, oh, did they? Yeah. 
I was one of the national scholars for Coca-Cola. And so if you had the right GPA, I, my family couldn't afford Duke University, man. It's way too much money. Uh, so you actually have to thank the Coca-Cola Corporation for why you're here now. Yes. and we, I am so sorry. I apologize. <laughs> and congratulations. All right. Well, you know what? That's the thing. This is why I want to clarify this. You know, I feel like there's a lot of good that can be there. There's something about the organization, because the, the, it's like, you think of corporations, the, the positive, the silver lining of them is that they're like a hive mind. They're like, it's actually like a cybernetic organism, right? If you also add the layer of, you know, all the technology there. And if, if we could actually hold them accountable versus giving them all the inalienable rights, all these, these rights of, of an actual civilian, of a human, but not holding them accountable like we would any human, they're actually psychopaths. Because they have no morality, right? They're being driven by profit, greed, and this bottom line, proverbial bottom line. And it's, it's purely this extractive mentality. Like all of the kind of capitalism as we know it right now is this extractive mentality where we're, we're just extracting things as opposed to coming from a place of replenishing of sustainability, right? And so if we could shift that, and I feel it is happening, there's, there's a new school, if you will, of corporations that are doing this. Um, you know, I feel truly that's the only road forward because they're not going to go away. As much as I want to like, preach otherwise, you know, they're not going to go away. It's like here, we're, we're in this game and they've bought out the government. They've bought, I mean, it's, it's all corporate driven right now. I mean, look who our president is, right? He's the biggest corporate mogul in the universe, right? You could say motherfucker. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I'm kidding. We say filo da puta in Portuguese. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry about that. Anyone, I don't mean to offend. Eh? But, but truly, right? This guy, this guy somehow is in this position, and and for good or for worse. And I feel like the, the real the real moral of the story. There's a there's a dicho, a saying in Spanish. They say no hay mal que por bien no venga. There's no bad that doesn't bring good. And I feel like what's happening right now, what we're seeing and what we are living is a moment in time where this, we have to go through this so that we all really start to wake up and be like, okay, I can't be comfortably numb anymore in my little universe. It's like, I actually have to do something about this. Because like, it's, not, it's not happening. Look how long he's already been in position, right? And it's not just going to resolve itself. It's not going to go away. And it's just actually getting worse. And so the invitation, and it's getting better, but it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I feel that's the thing is that it, more and more of us have to be awoke. And so when we go back to saying, like, what is woke? I feel like rather than letting the corporation, the corporate mentality of like, let me co kind of take this thing that was alternative, that was um, if you will, underground. Let me now take it from you as a brand, make it a brand. Let me sell it back to you and give you a T-shirt about it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Like it's like the yoga. It's like it's like the djembe, the West Africa, like all these things that we've appropriated from all over the planet Earth, right? From all these cultures and other peoples, and then we give it back to you and we brand it, right? Like like the hippies, like the peace movement, like man, like a tie-dye shirt. It's it's insidious because it kind of sneaks up and it kind of takes that thing that actually was really powerful, this powerful movement, and all of a sudden it kind of like neutralizes it. It, right? It like, it like takes the pH out of it, the acidity, like the power of it, and makes it this neutral kind of vanilla thing that then you find in a gift shop at the airport. And it's really sad because then it's like, where are we? Where's our people? Where, where are the activists? Where are the people who care? It's, only, it's like we're, it's just, it keeps putting us in this matrix, if you will. Right, where we just continue to live out this this comfortably numb situation, and so, so we have to be really, I feel, really diligent about tracking our language around it, about tracking, you know, how that's being usurped that power, because it's it's very powerful, and it's this marketing machine, as you know, you know, in media, it's constantly, man, all the fake news, all this stuff, it's all about a very old movement. I don't know if you track a guy by the name of a scholar by the name of Noam Chomsky. Oh yeah. Yeah. So so. 
gnome is like heavy, right? And he's been tracking this stuff for a long, long time, you know, and just seeing the corporate machine activated back in the 60s, 70s in retaliation, and they have actively created policy, have all the lobbyists, all of that stuff basically reorganized the government and, and all of the private sector to really create a complacent society. They want complacent, go along with the flow consumers, man. Just get your job, get get the house, over, overload yourself in debt, and yeah, it's it, what's um what's intriguing is so this has been uh, this has been uh, just, and now that we've brought up uh, a little bit of politics, we won't go too much into it, but because <laughs> it's just so depressing, but um, but at the same time, and we kind of need to be aware, but I like people, I don't I don't agree with people who even people I agree with on every level as liberals. I don't like it when they, like, especially when they do things like body shame Trump or do things like that. It's like, no, you're going to his level. You know, you, if you call him a fat fuck and you call him a fat fuck on social media, that's just don't do it because that's going, that's, that's using his terminology. That's using how he talks. We need to rise above that and talk in a different level and go back to empathy and kindness you know, yes, they're sociopaths. I don't know how empathetic I could be to someone like Trump, but at the same time, let's rise above that. And if he can, likes to join us, cool. If not, uh, maybe we get somewhere. I don't know. Is that is that a kind of way to get out of the bad situation? You feel like, or, or if that's way too, I, I, the ayahuasca is totally getting to me right now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's finally hitting. <laughs> if that got if that today's, got too heavy. <laughs> today's drinks with Tony, huh? <laughs> And we say, ayahuasca. <laughs> the trickster, the trickster. Hold on, I gotta go throw up. <laughs> we, we say, get well. We say, get well. Yes, that's actually, because, you know, it is. You know, it's, you, when we purge, it's, it, especially in the context of, you know, in the context of, of, of ayahuasca, I, I mean, yeah, when, when the time's right, I invite you to. It's, it's a powerful teacher. It's not for everyone, by any means, yeah. nor do I, I. I've never done shrooms or anything like that either, so I think I have to work myself up. Like, yeah. the microdosing, I like the shroom idea, so I, I'll work myself up to okay. the... You know, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't think... The thing that I think is misunderstood a lot about... about these plant teachers, you know, and, and, I, and I will... I, will yeah, I love how you got off the subject, I just... <laughs> You did a good job. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll come back to it. I'll come back. To it. You don't have to. It's, it's, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> We're just having an energy back and forth. Totally. Well, um, yeah. So ping ponging back to you. You know, um, just to speak to that though, I think I think it's really important to to just say you know, and I'm gonna gra- I'm gonna group you know, onguitos or mushroom people, the mushroom nation, um, or also known as los niños, the children, into into plants, even though they're they're technically not plants. Is is when when you look at these these teachers, and I'm going to call them teachers. Um, you know, they're really powerful teachers, and and people sometimes forget though. With any teacher, the point isn't to keep going to the teacher; it's to learn the lesson, to learn from the teacher, right? And then to in- integrate that lesson into your life, into your day to day. And a lot of times, the medicine just just by thinking about them, just by saying it right now, like maybe I'll mic- you know microdose. I'm going to work towards that. Is the intention setting before you even ever imbibe it already starts to bring that awareness and that medicine already the frequency into your body and so it's really powerful just to start to connect with that with the consciousness of these plants because they're always with us the fact that you have receptor sites in your brain that actually have can respond to the molecules in those things is because there's a deep ancient relationship between you and those those beings and in fact you're interrelated they're your relative believe it or not 
and that it's in a, on, a, on an anatomical, on a historically anatomical way. You know, some people, there's a whole, obviously the stoned ape theory from Terence McKenna, and there's a lot of anthropologists who will talk about this. It's a very old way where they say our frontal cortex and our higher thinking and the advent of even tool use from our ancestors who were primates came out of the use of psychedelic mushrooms. Right? There's a whole school around this, and I won't get into that right now, but just, yeah. So you brought up frequencies a few times, and that totally intrigues me. I actually listen to uh, frequencies when I go to sleep, the, the, like, the, you know, the, the shock with frequencies. Why do you have to throw that? Uh, I, I hate that waitress. <laughs> How many times do I got to raise my hand before she comes over? <laughs> I love how you just reacted to that sound. <laughs> See, yeah, the, I, yeah, um, you're, you're very, what are they called, auditory based. Yeah, yes, yeah. sound is definitely my, my, my one of my strengths. But, uh, but like uh, the frequencies of bi binaural beats, is that what they're called? Bi or binaural beats, is a, that's a whole... That's a whole different... That's, well, that's, I mean, it, speaking about binaural beats, yes, it is. It, we would be talking in the realms of, of sound, okay. but, but it's definitely... But that's, that's that's it's, not frequency. It's kind of its own thing. No, okay. binaural beat specifically speaks to a phenomenon that happens when when you have a, a certain, like say, a, a sine wave, a simple yeah. wave. If you understand what I mean by that, yeah. so let's say like, you know, a tone, a simple pure right. sine wave tone. Let's say at 440 hertz, which is you know standard pitch A in yeah. concert tuning. Okay, so if we were just playing this kind of pitch and it's like annoying kind of pitch, whatever, you play it through headphones. Let's say it only works actually. This phenomenon works in headphones. Okay. If you detune like say your left the left the sound coming out of the left you know uh, headphone versus the right one stays in 440 but let's say you detune the one on the left to like 420 as you detune from the 440 to that 420 you're going to hear this phenomenon where the two will go out of phase from each other and it starts to create this pulsing and this pulsing your brain perceives and creates this third sound that it perceives which doesn't exist it's actually just your perception of it that sounds like this beating pulse and this is what they know as binaural beats and that's actually what, by binaural being both by to aural, the ears, and this beating that happens. And so it's a phenomenon that you won't get. If you, if you played a binaural recording, let's say on your Bluetooth speaker, or your home stereo, you won't perceive it. It only really is noticeable with headphones. So it's, it's so that's me going way that's me going way off uh, topic there because I'm just like I want to learn this and you're yeah. like dude dude that's not my that's not my specialty man. No, no, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm definitely down with it and I have a good friend Corey Allen who did a whole record of binaural beat music yeah um, it's on Aubrey Marcus another dear brother of mine his his podcast um, his website people want to check it out but binaural beats is is a really I think it's a very powerful medium a lot of people there's no official like you know. FDA approved, like this actually has like study, rigorous studies that, that say that it has benefits. But a lot of use, you find apps online, for instance, that you can download. Um, I think that there is some value though for, because when, when we go into those binaural beats, I think what, for, in my opinion, and this is my pers from personal experience, I find that working with binaural beats, for instance, can really help us to get into meditative states. Um, some of the binaural beats are, are said to be designed to kind of help us get into theta and other brain wave states for relaxation, for learning. And so playing them during these different states of, of waking or sleeping consciousness, um, it can kind of enhance those things. So, you know, I, I'm of the belief that try it by all means and see, try it on, see, you know, have nothing to lose and see if your body resonates with it. At the end of the day, you know, in all sound healing, you know, which has kind of become, it's a funny name, you know, it's kind of, it's emerged. Obviously, music is healing. And music has been around, sound has been around since the beginning, right? Probably sound was around before there was light, in fact. You know, when you get to it, right? The Big Bang, 
it was it was a sonic experience before it was a light experience maybe you could argue right i think that was i, I always thought that was my parents when they conceived me but sure <laughs> i bet it was <laughs> come on tony <laughs> so you're throwing things around in the barn. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, mom and dad, for that. <laughs> oh, it's better than Little Bang, man. I say Big Bang. Come on. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, but I would say just, you know, all things, speaking of, of things sonically, um, you know, it, 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 it all can be healing. And like yeah. going back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, the difference between medicine and poison is dosage. Yeah. So if you think about a lot of the sound that we are exposed to or some people call noise, yeah. Right or or music that some people perceive as noise and music that other people perceive as incredible. Like they say punk music, right? Some people are like they listen, they can't, they don't know what to do with it. Other people it like takes them into really powerful deep trance states, right? Um, some people listening to indigenous like African drumming, really polyrhythmic, powerful rhythmic music that puts people into trance and spirits come down into their bodies, for instance. And other people listen, they like they don't know what to do. It makes them feel awkward or really uncomfortable. So it's like there's this kind of combination of our perception of what sound is, our filters that are either cultural, and then if we can get past our filters, just the experience of the raw frequencies and what those frequencies are doing with our body and our perception of sound and how that then goes into our being. Because going back to another point we were talking about earlier of like light and sound. You see, sound is powerful because sound penetrates and permeates us even when we can close our eyes and block out the light sound is still coming into us and it like it has there's no way to really block sound because even when you cover your ears and you go la 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 sound is still entering your yeah. being right and it's literally and so low low sound frequencies for instance they can go through walls low frequency waves so for instance in a club right you go into a club or into a festival where you have these massive bass systems right huge sub arrays these, they're pushing frequencies down to 25 hertz, even below our human threshold of hearing, you know, 20 hertz. Some systems, you know, it's basically the speaker's moving. You see this extension on these cones, but you can't even hear it. It's solo, but you feel it. Your body can actually feel it in the body. It's like a physical sensation. And so you got to wonder, what's that doing to me? You know, and what is long exposure to these things doing to me? Is it a good thing or isn't it? You know, and depending on the sound and the intention and how that sound was designed. And I, I feel like all those things play into this notion of healing. And so coming back to the concept of sound healing, I feel like it's just all this is, is it's unfortunately it's getting trendy too and getting, again, corporate, corporatized and sold back to us now. I see everyone's a sound healer. Everyone buys crystal bowls and some gongs and they're like, I'm a sound healer. I think, and that's great. Don't get me wrong. I, I encourage I mean, I, I like to say this, you know, I'm also a body worker, I'm a licensed massage therapist, right? And I went into that field because I really needed a way to legally work with humans, right? Because I started in the path of medicine when I was at Duke. I was, I was pre-med and I started on the path, I was, gonna, I was in, going on my track to med school. And, um, and I actually got, I, I saw how screwed the system was, allopathic medicine, how much of a business, if you will, it was, how corporate it already was. You know, Becoming a medical doctor? Yeah. Yeah, so I was working in like intensive care unit, pediatrics, shadowing doctors at Duke, at Duke Medical Center. And man, it was like, I was shadowing these docs and my job, literally, the docs would walk into the room, wouldn't even look at these kids. I was pediatric, so heavy, third degree burn victims. Like these little kids would be flown in from other parts of, of the South you know, into Duke by helicopter, and... I mean, just just you saying that, I don't think I could even be in the same room, because my emotions, I don't, think I, I don't think I would know how to 
um, what do you call it? I wouldn't know how to digest that, I don't think. It's a lot. It's a lot. You have to have a lot of empathy, right? Because yeah. that whole piece we were talking about, the empathy, and it, like, huge. And yeah. so being able to hold emp- empathic space, literally being an empath, communicating with these children, feeling their needs, like, what do they really need right now? How can I help them? Because that's the healing, right? We all know what, when we talk about healing, and I, I love this, um, there's a book by, by uh, Victor Wooten, you know, the bass player, which I really respect his work. It's called The Music Lesson. People should check that out, too. Um, in it, he kind of says this piece, um, one of the passages from his teacher speaking through him in his writing, you know, is that we talk about healthy. The word healthy, when you listen to it and you break it down, health thy, right? So, or heal thy. So you think about, it's really an invitation to heal thyself. So healer, heal thyself, or heal thy brother, heal thy sister. When we are healthy, it's because it's not just, it's healing ourselves, but in learning how to heal ourselves and how to heal others. We're all healers, in fact. All of us. You know, and I feel like a lot of us, we forget that. We kind of think, no, that's, that's just doctors who do that. Right. Or that's just, you know, whatever, a, a nurse or a practitioner, a therapist, someone who has this degree. But in fact, we're all healers. And the difference is having intention, bringing awareness to whatever it is we're doing. Because right. so, you can lay your hands on someone, just a stranger, and just send a good intention, a good vibration, and they're going to feel that. Think about when you've been touched in a way that is non-sexual, just in a loving way. So, so what I like to say is the more sound healers, great. The more body workers there are, great. The better the world is. You know, Because the more that we learn to use sound for good, rather than creating noise and violent sound, if you will, because there is violent sound. It's very aggressive and very dark. And I hear this a lot like right now in the electronic music scene because we're at a lot of festivals. And I'm put in between these DJs who are playing a lot of really dark music using those bass systems to create sounds that are like, kind of like, it sounds like robots having sex, if you will, you know, that are like, or whatever, or killing people. Like, so really intense. So, the, so in those situations, is that like the opposite of healing when, we're, when, you, when you listen to that? I mean... It, if I could, if I could, you know, go out. I'm, I'm obviously going out a limb here to say this, but yes, I feel like there is a, there's an edge to it, you know. And not to say you can't have edgy things. Like it's not that in the dark. Not to say the dark is bad, right? Dark and light, they go, they complement it. Like like punk music. I fucking love punk music, just like you. I mean, I appreciate what it's doing. I appreciate how it's taking people from a certain cultural background and taking them into trance because that's your access point. Now, if we're, I think, like I was going back to the very beginning of a conversation, it's about listening to the space and tuning into what's needed, right? Where can I meet these people? Because ultimately, for me, as a musician, as an artist, as a healer, whether I'm on, you know, doing one-on-one work or in a retreat or in a massive festival with thousands of people, it's about how can I bridge this moment? How can I bring all my toolkit, my medicine bag, if you will, and pull out the right medicine right now to share you know, through the sound that's going to help activate these people and help connect to them? Because it may be an audience like the cor- corporate audience I was talking about, or it may be an audience like a bunch of amazing, crunchy hippies, you know? That in, and, and so what I'm going to bring in that moment, or maybe, you know, my medicine people who, you know, who are ayahuasqueros, or it may be in a tribal context, you know, it may be when I'm at Sundance ceremony, what I pull out of my medicine bag in that moment, it's about me shape-shifting and meeting them where they're at. And if I can meet them, the degree to which I can meet them where they're at is the degree to which we create a more powerful container of that experience and magic can happen. Because you see, all of it is ceremony. We're creating a ceremony. And what is ceremony? All it is is creating intentional space. And when it held powerfully, that intentional space with whatever medicine, whether it be alcohol, whether it be our breath, 
whether it be ayahuasca, whether it be ganja, whatever your medicine is, or just the people standing there, the more powerful we can create that container cohesively for people, then spirit can move through us. And then we get past this egoic place that we're all stuck in, this narcissistic place, right? right? And we get to this place where we get to step into our true, authentic expression of self and why the understanding of why we showed up. Why are we here on this earth right now? I don't think we're here to destroy the earth. I don't think we all showed up right now. Our ancestors didn't go through all their tribulations for us to just eat a lot of food and trashy food and leave our plastic thrown around the planet. I don't believe that's why we came all this way. You know, I really, I'm, I'm of the belief that we came here because we're actually the way showers of all the species on the planet. Think about it. We're the ones who learned how to master fire first. Technology, as I said earlier, is an evolution of fire. And right now, we're not being good stewards of fire. We've let technology is out of control. The fire is burning like the fires just earlier this year, right? Burning here. In, and so we're seeing a moment in our history where we're approaching what some call, like Kurzweil, right? The singularity, right? We're approaching this moment where technology is accelerating so fast. The, the wildfire is literally out of control. And, and, and there's a moment where we're being asked as human beings to step into our role and to claim our birthright as fire keepers. And fire keepers, also earth keepers, right? Because we are the only species that can actually do anything about it. All the other species, are, they're standing by. They're like, yo, what's up, relatives? What's up, two-leggeds? Are you going to take ownership of this? Or are you just going to, you know, just let this burn us all? Because that's what's happening. As they literally, all these species are falling away. And it's not about getting depressed about it. It's being, what can I do in my life in whatever little way possible to take ownership of the fire that I can control, even if it's my relationship to my phone in my hand, how can I take time to not let this thing just like override my whole life and alienate me from having connect direct con conversations and connection with and empathy with my neighbor, with my partner, with my beloved, right, with my coworker, and how can I actually show up and have a heart to heart conversation, have that connection, and from that create that field, that container that allows for healing to take place? Because as we heal ourselves, then the earth heals by default. All we have to do is come back to that first step, which isn't overwhelming. If you think about the big thing and it's like, oh my God, how, you know, we're fucked. It's never going to work out. Look who's our president. It's, it's, it's like doomsday. And then what happens is apathy arises. And that's the worst place for us as human beings. Because once we're apathetic and we're just like, well, fuck it. When we go into the, oh, fuck it mentality, which is this old masculine mentality, that's where the whole hashtag me too, that's where all of this comes out of is this old mentality of, well, fuck it, I'm just going to take it all right now because it's while I'm alive, while I can, all of those mentality where we, we let go of the responsibility as opposed to the more primordial form of the masculine, which is the protector, which is the part of our dads and our grandpas that we really respected. The part of the protector that has integrity, has justice, has fairness, the one who shows up and says, enough. We need to do this right. We need to make this right. We need to protect and honor the feminine and make room for the feminine, including the feminine in us as men, to show up and to, and to lead. And we have to remember our role as, as holding space for her to lead, including the earth, because she's telling us what to do. She's yelling at us, in fact, right? She's screaming at the top of her lungs, right? She's sending us these crazy storms and, and all of these activity right on the planet now, historically shifted. And meanwhile, there's so many of the, of the institutions, the powers that be, right? Going back to like that corporate generic term I'm using as a catch-all phrase that wants us to stay in the old mentality. And I feel like right now that, that whole, that, that dissonance is bursting at the seams 
to use a, a, a you know a sonic metaphor, right? Terminology that dissonance, right? That is is creating this like really intense, um, if you will. Um, frequency or field right now that we don't know what to do and like we're we all feel it it's like we're we're getting like getting uncomfortable in our own skin right because the 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 superficiality of our day-to-day is just not cutting it we're like this what's up with this it's like when do we wake up so ayahuasca has come in other plant medicines ganja have come at a very interesting moment where a lot of people are finding these teachers and it's why it's becoming popular, I believe, because it's a moment where people are having being awoke in this idea of woke. So this is why I really caution us, don't don't corporatize that term. Don't you know or or, or let it be corporate, but own the fact that awoke is a powerful state and it's not a thing that you reach and you're done. It's a thing that you do moment by moment, breath by breath, right? You know, it's the path of the Buddha. It's the path of Christ. All of our ascended masters, right? They had to work on it moment by moment by moment, right? So it's how do I show up to any situation, whether it's a gig or whether it's in the car with my beloved, right? On the road, on tour, when we're stressed out and like traffics and we're late to the gig and something didn't work, blah, blah, blah. They messed up the flyer. All of these things are happening, right? And how do we then see that? Breathe into it, into our bellies, Connect to why we're really here. Remember who we truly are. And at that moment, exhale the manusha and come back to our hearts. Because then from that place, we can create healing. And from the healing, we transform the world. And, and we also, um, you know, it's like I enjoy talking with you because you have good energy. And then I'm going to, I walk away, so I'll walk away from this. And then I'll have good energy and I'll say, I'll say, I'll smile to somebody as I leave. And it's, and I, and, but you know, and then there's the opposite where people get in a fight or whatever and they leave the house and they're like, and then they, they just want to like glare at people. And we, we just, it's such a, um, it's almost, it's almost our own, uh, what do you call it? Inner, uh, internet information highway, but in real life where we affect each other, which just blows my mind and everything, you know, and everything you say, I'm just like, wow. Okay. So back to, uh, back to healing and, uh, the, you know, in your clients, um, what, what's what's like what's one of the struggles that uh, was deep with one of your clients that you got to work with um, to to kind of get them out of that state? And is there resistance? Do you find resistance in some of that? Or or when they come to you, are they already in a frequency of openness? I mean, you know, I, I think there is something to be said about that when when a client comes to a therapist, no matter what profession, right? Even when you go to the doctor, right? Let's yeah. say, right? There's a certain level of, of an openness and willingness. I would say even more than that, because a lot of times we're like, we dread it because we're like, are they going to make me have surgery? Are they going to, you know, are they going to give me some messed up drug? Like, we don't know, right? Like the dentist is a great example of this, right? Nobody really wants to go to a dentist, right? Generally speaking, unless they're hooking them up, I guess, with some nitrous oxide or something. Right? But, but I'll just sit in the corner and have this. You guys look great. <laughs> But in truth, right, most of us, but when we go to most therapists, especially holistic therapists, in general, I would say, yes, there is an openness because you already know I'm going to this person because I'm, I'm ready. You're already past your, that, that pre-contemplative state. You're like in a contemplative, yes, I'm ready for change. I need help. Yeah, yeah. And now you're, you're, at, okay. you're at their place. So, oh, so the, so just the intention is the opening. And then, exactly, yeah. exactly. And actually, even then, when they come and see me, when a client comes see me, I always ask them, what is your intention? What, what do you want to see? What are you calling in to this work right now, this next two hours that we have together, three-hour session? Um, and, and just to say, you know, that really will determine the session. I mean, that's because it's, it's really important to recognize that, you know, healing is 
I can't heal anyone other than myself. See, and it's like teaching. You can't really teach anyone. I can show you, but you have to teach yourself, right? And the same thing with healing. It's like I can show them the door. I can show them where it's at in their body or where, where it is in their psyche or in their energetic, spiritual, emotional body. But ultimately, they have to choose to release it. And now, um, going to your, your first part of the question, yeah, I've had many clients, if I could share like kind of an antidote from that without, you know, obviously going out of a, of a confidentiality of a client, but just to speak in a general way, I'd say 80% to 90% of my clients have a lot of challenges, and I'd say most people, with their breath. Interesting. It all comes back to the breath. It it's so crazy. It is all about the breath. You know, uh, people kind of like trip out and they're always like, man, you're... you're how do you do it? Like, what's your secret? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and I'll tell you, it's simple. It's the breath. <laughs> it's learning to listen to the breath. Learning to listen and be aware and present with your own breath. And, and this isn't any novel concept. It's ancient technology. I mean, you, you look at, you know, um, yoga, for instance, right? And not like, not just your, you know, I don't know, kind of like LA, you know, <laughs> top 40 yoga, if you will. But like, we're talking like, go to the ancient, the roots of yoga, which... Exactly. Well, yeah, pranayama and all this ancient practice. They have, there's a whole, all yoga practice is around breath. I mean, in some way, shape, or form, right? I, a great example of this is the school of Vipassana, right? Um, from Goenka. Goenka is an incredible master teacher who created this lineage. But all of this goes back to Buddha, right? And even, who knows, like all of the, all of the branches off of him, right? And even Buddha, some might say, the scholars, you know, say, well, is, was this really one person? Or was this many people? Or what, you know, even Christ, for that matter. You know, there's, there's a lot of debate around this when you really get into the nitty-gritty, right? Of where these texts and where their stories, they go back to really I think these archetypes that are within all of us ultimately and all of them I think want to teach us a simple lesson and that's how to be a better relative how to be a better relative no matter what your spiritual tradition ultimately it's like and I'm not talking blood relative I'm talking how to be a better relative to all things whether it's it's other two-legged whether it's four-legged creepy crawlies all the swimmers all the flyers whether it's all the plant people all the mineral kingdom how to be a better relative star nation right how can we show up and actually be a better relative? And I believe that starts by resourcing yourself with your breath. Because you see, you were kind of talking about it earlier. You're like, you know, at some point we get wounded. We get messed up, you were saying, right? My theory is that it happened when we were little, real little. Like the first time, I bet you're on a playground. And you're like three, four, five years old. You just went to kindergarten for the first time and you're finally hanging out with all these little kids. And probably someone said, you probably got hit or something, right? You're playing tag or playing around. All of a sudden you start crying. You're like, oh man, someone hit you. You're like, I'm so sad. And they're like, suck it up, cry baby. And what do you do? And you literally start holding your breath. You, you lock up that belly breath, that diaphragmatic breathing. And all of a sudden, you, 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 you detach yourself, you repress the emotional body which lives down in the diaphragm, down in the body, in the belly, right? That's the emotional body, this, the soft underbelly that we have, right? And we started breathing from the chest, costal breathing. For girls, right? Well, you're fat. Suck, you know, so what do they do? Suck it in, right? Stick it out. Make yourself look like what others want you to see. I am so aware of my breath right now. Keep going. Yes. It's huge. It's huge. Because this kind of goes back to what I was talking about, empowering people with the creative expression. A lot of my work, you know, beyond just the healing work, 
in the musical work is, is the retreat work we do and the teaching that I do, which is about encouraging people to first and foremost connect to their breath, empower yourself, because with your breath, you start to inhabit yourself, if that makes sense. Because, you see, your breath is your source of authentic power. Your authority, I was talking about earlier, being an author, right? Because how, how do you sing? How do you make sound? From your breath. If you ain't got breath, you don't have, you don't have that diaphragm activated, you can't project, you can't move energy through your voice if you're not sourced from down in the root. Okay? And that's and most trained singers, that's what they do. I mean, you're, you're trained to use your diaphragm, right? Fighters trained to use the diaphragm. It, pretty much everybody, I mean, opera singers, if you will, um, martial artists. But most other people, we ignore the breath. The breath is something we don't really talk about. It's kind of forgotten in our society, you know, day to day. And so, you know, unless maybe you're like a Qigong master or you're working in Tai Chi Chuan, they're all training day to day about your breath, yeah. right? And, we ha- and it's funny that we have to train to do it and it's and it's kind of why do you think we lost the natural well you already said with uh, with the conditioning of on the playground I think it's it, we, we, so we get socialized in summary right we get socialized I believe early on in our childhood to repress the emotion to suck it up and suck it in and in that moment we switch into this chest breathing we, and we switch into this mental energy because when we're not breathing from the core and from the root right like this from this diaphragm and, and in Chinese medicine they call it the, the lower dantian dantian is this point just beneath the navel they call it like your north pole okay and this point when we breathe from that point and all animals Animals, babies breathe from this point. If you look at any baby, they're not breathing from their chest. They're breathing from their belly. You look, at, you look at a dog, a cat, any animal, they're breathing from their belly. You look at most adults, they're up here in their chest. And their, their chest is lifting up and down and they're disconnected until you go to sleep at night. And when your parasympathetic nervous system kicks on and you go into your REM sleep, your deep sleep, and your mind turns off, your body takes over. Your body's intelligence innately knows how to breathe. You start breathing from your belly. It's incredible, man. It's like you can see it. Your partner asks them to watch you, and this is what happens. And so what we have to do is literally a deep programming. And so a lot of the first step that I do with my clients, and going back to your question, you know, is to help them to activate their breath. Because when they're able to breathe, as opposed to hold the breath and activate this diaphragmatic breathing, what happens is they're able to then resource themselves more energy. You get 40% more oxygen. Your blood, your mind is more activated. Your metabolism goes up. Your, all your digestive system. All, think about our society. One of the biggest diseases we have is, is disease with our digestive system. Oh, man, so many people have colon, dis- disease, and cancer, all of these things because literally they're not moving the, the caca out, right? They're not moving the shit out, right? And so our body's designed... <laughs> I thought you were talking about the chocolate <laughs> for, for like two seconds. No, no. <laughs> I love it. I'm so glad that you, that you clarified that with shit. So, okay, let's get back to it. Clarifying with shit. <laughs> so you got to move the shit out, you know, and, and your body's designed. I mean, we evolved with the diaphragm to do this because peristalsis, right, the movement of the smooth muscle tissue, right, that moves our digestive, our intestines, and literally squeeze the, the crap out of us. Is, is always working, but it doesn't have, it can't do it by itself. It's designed when our waking state, when our belly is filling up, right, and our diaphragm's dropping, pushing the intestines out, right, breathing into our back, into our sides, it's literally pushing that, that material, that waste out of our body. And it's helping, it's like a, it's our prana pump. It's the prana, prana's life force, right, like chi, right, our life energy. It's moving this energy. And so as we breathe like this, we also, it's moving out that emotional waste, whether that be the sadness, the grief, the anger, right, all of these emotional pieces that we don't get to move 
on our day to day because we've been suppressing it for so long. So there's this first step of really tracking it. Like you said, you're being aware. Just start to be aware of your breath. And when we start to breathe like from this place, really notice your breath. It's like you start to see how often you disconnect from your breath. And you start to also track like your decision making. It's a litmus test. When your day-to-day decision, like you go into a situation, notice your breathing. Does, is your breath deep and expansive or is it kind of shallow? Is it something like really shallow? Like you're trying to make a choice. Do I go left or right? Like, you know, do I take on this project or not? Notice your breath. Nine out of ten times, your, your body knows before your head will ever know. And before your mind can rationalize why you should or shouldn't do something. That's like even, um, they, uh, I've done this weird thing where you put like a vitamin or a mineral to your chest. And if your body moves a little forward, your body wants it. I, I don't know if... Kinesiology, yeah, muscle testing, amazing form. Yeah, and basically breath, in a way, it's like, it's like the first layer of kinesiology. Just tuning in with your breath. And where is the breathing? Where's your body at? You know, it, it's so it's so amazing how intelligent the body is. I have clients all the time that come in. And they're like, "Oh, I'm fine." I'm like, "Have you ever broken? A, have you ever had any you know major trauma sites or you know broken a bone or any accidents?" And they're like, "Nah, no, nah. uh, you know, maybe a couple falls when I was a kid, but I'm fine." And, and during the session, the body never lies. And so I always giggle to myself. I'm like, "All right, cool." And so they get on the table, you know, and, and in the course of the session. I find everything because the body is like communicating once you know how to listen to the body and listen to the breath it's just this open book and it's like here it is here it is and we're tracking these things and all of a sudden they're having these deep painful somatic memories that are coming up by the end of the session like I forgot to tell you man I had this surgery on my fucking they did this thing when I was seven years old you know they they actually took my appendix out or they did this or that And and all of those memories come back because it's all there and then when we so the whole thing back to like the process you know, for me, it's, it's holding space, working with them. Often, I work specifically in the myofascial network of the body. So the myofascial tissue is the, the connective tissue of the body. So if you will, it's the inner web, like we were talking about earlier, right? It's, it's literally, it's the web. It's the, the tissue that holds and binds everything together in your body. It's what prevents your, your guts, from your, your organs from falling due to gravity to the, to the floor. It's what holds it all in, right? It's the stuff that in, in medical school, when we're in anatomy class, that you dissect away, that most medicine, Western medicine, ignores. As a matter of fact, just into the last five years or so, is now fa- the fascia being seen as a very important system that we've ignored historically in Western medicine. And it's super important because it's actually what holds, binds, it actually carries emotional energy. When you have trauma, it's imprinted in that. There's a cellular memory that happens in our connective tissue. So myofascia is a powerful thing. And in fascia, just to explain it for our listeners and just and for yourself, like it's basically like when you see a cat and you grab the back the, the skin on the back of a cat and you can grab it and like lift up and the cat just like lifts up and kinda like hold the cat there and the cat's like meow. And it's not like freaking out. I mean some cats might freak out no matter what, but generally speaking, it actually might like it. That's healthy fascia. And that's the way fascia should be on all of us. A baby would have very healthy fascia, for instance. A yogi, a very alkaline body, human being, very, you know, has amazing fascia. Our typical stressed out eight to five worker who drinks coffee four times a day, drives super stressed out, doesn't sleep much. Their acidic body, when you touch their fascia, when I try to grab their skin, for instance, off of their body, like kind of like that, lift it off like the back, it's like grabbing a wall, like it's glued together, like gum. And so that's, for me, immediately it tells me what's the state of their body. Wow. And, and, and it's kind of ironic, but the metaphor holds. It's like, as above, so below, or as without, so within. And so when they're gummed up in their body like this, what is their mind like? What is their emotional state like? 
If there's no space to move in your own skin, right? What's the rest of you? What's going on there, right? So it's reflected in all levels. And so, and by that same token, when I can, over the course of a session, start to create space, which is my job, and they're able to breathe with that space and just let go. As I go in, it's like the body with each breath, that myofascia, that connective tissue, it like, it's like the layers of an onion. It melts. It just starts to unravel, man. And, and in that unraveling will come up the emotions because it's been trapped in there. It's been repressed. And all of a sudden, as their breath just like goes and they start to let their voice open up, man, all this trauma comes up that they've forgotten from their childhood, sexual trauma, all kinds of stuff, man, that most of us have. That we've just, most of us have had to repress. And then we, then we layer that on top of, you know, the social norms, the alcohol, all the substances that we've used just, just to basically cope, all the coping mechanism to continue to push it down and to stay comfortable and numb, hence comfortably numb. And I feel like, man, that terminology is so on the mark because it's about numbing out. And so I feel like if I could speak this to, you know, to, every, to the world right now, I feel the, the warning is and, and the invitation is, is to stay diligent, to stay aware and woke in all things. So when you're, when you're taking a drink, then drink it, but drink it with intention. When you're taking a puff, then do so with intention. How can you take that puff and use it in a way as medicine as opposed to a way to just numb yourself and to check out? And it's not to say, you know, it's not to say a vacation isn't a good thing and to chill out isn't a good thing. But the invitation is, how can you chill out in a way that is activating you and helping you to grow and evolve as opposed to in a way that's just defaulting to this numbness, this apathy? Again, to speak back to what we were saying before, let's, let us chill out with empathy and shift the apathy into empathy and then allow that empathy to, to bring about and, and help to create this, this arise feeling of transformation. And from the transformation, again, as we heal ourselves, we heal the earth. And as the earth heals, then there's hope for all of us, I believe. Please tell me you're writing a book. <laughs> I've already bought it. I'm, I'm <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I play with the idea, man. Yeah, yeah. I don't know when in my crazy schedule at the moment, because right now we've been birthing a lot of babies okay. with, the, with the new album. And, you know, right now, like, like, you know, just really touring hard and starting to share, get the music out to the world. But um, I am, I've, I've thought of it many times, especially with my body work, is like being able to transmit that because I, the, the style of body work I do is kind of my own creation, you know, through the lineage of my grandmother, who was also a body worker. Um, and she was called the sobadora in a traditional healer. In Mexico, you call that, that's the word we use. But someone who works as a healer through their hands. Um, and yeah, man, I've been invited to, to really look at that many a time. And so thank you for, for saying that again. I've, I've, it's like if, the, you, if you need a guy that will look over the stuff, I, I, I'm, yeah, I, I kind of teach and go over writing for a living. So Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that's what you do. Oh, man. Well, no, this is my side gig. This yeah. isn't even a side gig. This is my losing money, but just have cool people gig. <laughs> that's great. That's great. No, I, I would be honored, actually. That would be, that would be a really cool collab. So yeah. I'll, I'll take you up on that for real. All right. It's on the microphone, people. So <laughs> it's, yeah, it's on tape, baby. <laughs> Parangi, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, you got it. Such a pleasure, Tony. Yeah, thanks for having me today, brother. Yeah. Thank you, Porangi, for a fantastic conversation. Check out his releases, Guided Journey, as well as Ayahuasca Remixed. And Porangi has upcoming appearances. Uh, let's see. He's got a lot going on. Uh, Sunday, March 10th, 
Uh, Austin, Texas, move with magic. Tuesday, March 12th, Russian House, Austin, Texas. Thursday, March 14th, Black Swan Yoga, Austin, Texas, as well as on the 15th. And then Indonesia, March 24th, for our Indonesian listeners. After that, he is at the Leaf Festival, May 9th, Black Mountain, North Carolina. And if you're planning way far ahead, August 2nd, the Arise Festival in Loveland, Colorado. That's Porangi. Remember, join my six-week online novel workshop starting March 11th. No experience necessary, just passion to dig into storytelling. Register at TonyDuchesne.com. Hey, thanks for listening to Drinks with Tony, and I'll be back in your ear next Wednesday. Have a great week.